The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 40. Hi, I'm Farnoosh Bok, author of numerous books and founder at ProlificLiving.com. If there's such a thing as prolific podcasting, then I think you've found it. It's the Read to Lead Podcast with my friend Jeff Brown. Most people are most happy doing what they're most good at. If what you're most good at is also what you're passionate about, then that's great. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Thank you, Joy. Welcome back to the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We're going to sit down with a successful and inspiring author and talk about their latest book and their thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. Now, we've spent several recent episodes talking about things like how the nature of work is changing and a phrase I first heard author Jeff Goins coin called the portfolio lifestyle and just how the career path for many of us going forward is very different than what we've become accustomed to these last few decades. Well, in this episode, we chat with Ben Carpenter, author of The Bigs, that's short for The Big Leagues. And in this episode, he's going to help us understand what it takes to effectively climb the corporate ladder, something he's been very successful at. Things like finding a great job, doing a great job, being an effective leader, staying out of career trouble, and a lot more. The book is specifically written for students and young professionals, but I can tell you from personal experience, having read it and not belonging to either one of those categories, you should get a lot out of this book no matter where you are in life. I think the stories in part one from Ben's personal life are worth the price of the book alone, and it's fascinating to see how someone can be so successful in the corporate world, as Ben was, while at the same time being successful in the margins of life with entrepreneurial ventures as well. A very fascinating read, and I highly recommend it. I want to take a moment to say thank you to everybody who in the last week has expressed interest in joining or becoming part of the Read to Lead podcast mastermind group. Now, again, that's not what we're ultimately going to call it, I don't think. We don't have a name just yet. But if you're interested in connecting with folks who are passionate like you about personal and professional growth, talking with me for an hour each week and my friend Sherry Griffin from the Biz Book Club, and meeting once a month for an hour to ask questions of one of our authors, then our mastermind group, or whatever we end up calling it, is for you. If you'd like to receive more information once it's finalized, and we plan right now to launch in June, then just send me an email, very simply, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com, and put mastermind in the subject line. That's all you need to do. It will be open to a limited number of people, and those that are included will be hand-selected through an application process. So if you're interested in finding out more, again, it's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com with mastermind in the subject line. Ben Carpenter began his career as a commercial lending officer at the Bankers Trust Company. Two years later, he joined Bankers Trust's primary dealer selling U.S. Treasury bonds. And after a brief stop at Morgan Stanley, Ben joined Greenwich Capital, which during his 22-year career there became one of the most respected and profitable firms on Wall Street. At Greenwich Capital, Ben was a salesman, trader, sales manager, co-chief operating officer, and co-CEO. 
He is also the author of The Bigs, The Secrets Nobody Tells Students and Young Professionals About How to Choose a Career, Find a Great Job, Do a Great Job, Be a Leader, Start a Business, Manage Your Money, Stay Out of Trouble, and Live a Happy Life. And he, of course, is our guest today. Ben, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks, Jeff. So glad that you're here today, Ben. I want to ultimately start off by asking you what led you to write this book. I know it went from basically not even on your radar to being like this super uber passion of yours to get this book out there. Yeah, Jeff, I, I think you're exactly correct to, to say it uh, became a passion of mine. I think of myself as really being an accidental author because I really hadn't intended to write a book until one day when my eldest daughter, Avery, got her first real job post-college. And this was after a quite lengthy uh, job search on her part. And it was the absolute dream job for her. It was to be the assistant to the executive producer of a daytime TV show, uh, actually the Katie Couric show. Mm. Uh, and the whole family was was so excited until the next day when she sent her mother and I an email saying, uh, titled, Is This Okay to Send? And it was to the co-executive producer asking if she could start her job a week later than she had been asked to start. And I remember like it was yesterday, as I read that short email, my shock and really panic that my daughter, who was so bright, so engaging, really just had no idea what the real world was going to demand of her. And the idea that she could start her job a week later really prodded me into action. And I sat down and over the next three hours, wrote her a 22 bullet point uh, email (laughs) trying to explain what the real world was like, what she needed to do. And that was going to start with not sending this email to the executive producer and was going to start with her starting her job on Monday. Mm. So you see the book then, Ben, is kind of uh, maybe a curriculum for those things that that uh, as young people and professionals starting out don't unfortunately learn a lot of times in, in, in college? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think nobody learns it. Mm. With each generation, there's a lot of hand-wringing that the last generation or the the new generation doesn't doesn't understand it, doesn't get it. But the truth of the matter is, nobody understands it as they're coming out of college. I certainly didn't understand it. And that's that's really actually what I think got me so excited about the book as I was writing it, because it wasn't so much telling Avery what she needed to know as much as it was confessing what I didn't know, <laughs> both coming out of college as well as as I went through my career. And, you know, no different than than most other professionals, you know, we make an awful lot of mistakes. But people have a tendency, and certainly in my case, to not sit down and really analyze what those mistakes were and what they could learn from them. And it was that process over the past year and a half, almost two years now, that was really so, so interesting to me to sit down and dissect my career and think about and explain both to myself and to the reader what I, what I did right, what I did wrong, and what we can learn from both. I really appreciated uh, the style in which it is written. We have this series of, of, of stories, short stories from your life that serve to help illustrate 
uh, the ideas and the lessons you're trying to, to convey. You say it's, it's not a memoir, it's not a how-to book, it's not a self-help book, it's not a collection of stories from the front lines of commerce, but rather it's, it's all of these things. How, how so exactly? Well, you know, the, the book really did write itself. I don't know the way people are supposed to write books. I only know the way I wrote this book. And it wasn't with an outline. It wasn't really with a plan. I, I really sat down, did those 22 bullet points to Avery, then decided that maybe there was something more here. And I actually had a little encouragement from my executive secretary that I should think about writing a book put together some notes I had from a leadership uh, talk that I had given to uh, uh, managers of Bloomberg LP going back about 10 years ago. And then I just started writing. And I just started writing the the stories. One of my friends said that uh, when he read a very, very early draft, his comment was, and, uh, you know, it's a little raw. He said, you just got to keep puking up your stories and we'll (laughs) we'll pick up the big chunks and see what we got. And, uh, you know, kind of a crazy comment, but I, I, but as I was going through this process, I, I, I kept thinking about that and I did sort of keep puking up the stories and to go back to your question specifically, Jeff, you know, it, it's, it's not exclusively a memoir, but there is a lot of my personal stories in there. Uh, it's not exclusively a how to book, but there is a lot of advice in there. It's, it's not just a self-help book. But the type of advice that I that I talk about or the type of experiences I had and what I learned uh, really does come into the sort of health self-help realm, particularly, I think, when it comes to happiness. And the collection of stories is just what they are. They are uh, a lot of this information gets formatted in the form of the stories that uh, that I experienced. Through much of his career, Ben had a, a, a mentor who had a major impact on him. Ben, tell us about Ted and your time at Greenwich Capital. I do talk a great deal about Ted. And what I think was the most uh, noteworthy thing about Ted's personality was his generosity. And you know that financially it displayed itself when the firm that he had started, Greenwich Capital, uh, in 1981, in 1988, got sold to a Japanese bank, long-term credit bank in Japan. And, you know, Ted could have, there, there was a pool of money that was there to retain employees, but Ted controlled that transaction. And it was really his choice to decide to spread the lion's share of that money out to employees. And for instance, I had been there for one year and, and I was included in that. And that act of generosity and something that I never anticipated having been at the firm for only a year, you know, really did impress me greatly. But more importantly than that was his emotional generosity. And if you worked at Greenwich Capital, you know, you were Ted's friend. And that didn't mean that didn't didn't matter whether you had worked there for five, 10, or 20 years as the firm progressed, whether you were one of the first employees or you had just joined the previous day. Ted wanted to get to know you and and to be your friend. And that sort of emotional generosity, I think, was really uh, the bedrock that, that bound the firm together. Well, you talked about generosity. What were some of the major takeaways uh, from your time under Ted's leadership? What did you learn from Ted about being a great leader, Ben? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I learned most importantly from Ted is the employees come first. 
you know, I had worked at two large organizations prior to coming to Greenwich Capital, and you know, they were both fine firms, but I never felt that the mantra of those organizations was that employees come first. It was either management comes first or shareholders come first. Right, right. And that really wasn't the way Ted looked at the world. Ted really looked at it as, as a triangle. And his, his feeling was that, uh, that it was management's job to take care of the employees. And if the employees were well taken care of, they were going to be able to take care of their clients. And if the employees and clients were taken care of, then management and shareholders would be able to prosper. And it was it's it's that focus on employees first and foremost mm. that I think was the hallmark of Greenwich Capital and really was the foundation for the firm's success. In addition, another principle was personal accountability. Mm. You know, Ted down to his down to his toes believed in pay for performance in jobs that that was appropriate for, particularly in the front office sales and trading jobs in a in a Wall Street firm. And I think that focus on personal accountability as an overlay to a firm that, that genuinely cared about its people uh, was a great foundation for the firm's future success. Another principle that Ted had was to celebrate all employees' contributions. Now, not all employees have the ability to be a star, or more importantly, they're not necessarily in jobs that allow them to become stars. But nevertheless, the firm's success depends on what all employees contribute, and their contributions need to be celebrated. And, you know, nobody was more grateful for people's contributions to a firm's success than Ted was. And, and lastly, but not least, was the importance of having fun. <laughs> you know, we all spend way too much time at work not to have fun. And Ted almost insisted that we have a good time. And anytime Ted walked into the room, the room became a better place because of his positive outlook towards life and his emphasis on finding the fun in whatever situation we were dealing with at that time. I know as I read the book and and you talk about preparing young people for co- climbing the corporate ladder, one of the things you 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 hit on is what happens to a lot of folks coming out of college, young professionals, they get into that first new job and it's it maybe 8 months into it or whatever and and they they realize it's it's not ultimately what they want to do and they feel stuck. What advice would you give to young professionals who are feeling like they're they're stuck in their current job? Well, I do think during if it's your first job, you know, Staying at your job at least six months and probably a year is a good idea. So uh, unless you absolutely hate your job or a wonderful opportunity comes along uh, that you don't think you'll be able to recreate later on, you know, I would say in general, six to 12 months is a good framework for, for the first job to stay to stay at this first job. Beyond that, the answer to the question is you got to get out. If you're if you're not seeing a career path for yourself, if you're not enjoying your job and if you're not seeing a positive career trajectory, you have to get out. There's almost an infinite number of jobs and careers out there and you got to find a job and a career that you're going to be excited about. And I would say particularly 
I would say particularly that's important mm. and that's easy advice to give to somebody when they're young, when, before they have dependents. However, the question becomes much more difficult when you get to be 40 years old and you have a wife and kids uh, depending on you. And in those situations, you know, it's really a case-by-case basis on what you should or shouldn't do, which really is why it's so important that you find the right job and the right career for yourself as soon as you can before you have all those responsibilities. I think a lot of young people entering the workforce, uh, Ben, don't often recognize they have the opportunity to, to demonstrate leadership skills. What do young people new to today's workforce, in your opinion, need to understand about leadership that maybe they don't? Yeah, I, I think the thing that is most important for young people to understand is that leadership starts by leading by example. Now, leading by example means you do a great job at your job every day. And I think that while that's not really a surprise to hear, what might be a surprise is that you can show that leadership from the very first day you report to work. Mm. You get to work early. You're dressed appropriately. You ask questions. You, you look carefully at what's going on around you to find out how you can help. And you are the last one out the door at the end of the day. Mm. And if you do that on your first day, And every day thereafter, I guarantee that very quickly you'll be identified as a leader and you're going to be promoted and given great career opportunities because of that. And I think that it's particularly important for people to do that from the first day they report to work because people really do regard leadership as a character trait. And once people form an opinion about your character, it can be very hard to change that opinion. And they form that very quickly, too, don't they? Exactly. They, they, they form opinions about your character really from the first moment they meet you. And you want that first impression to be a positive one and then build from there. Well, Ben calls uh, Chapter 4 staying out of trouble and shares a a few things or stories about uh, how he got into trouble (laughs) over the course of his career. Ben, what do you hope we learn from from your mistakes? I think it really ties back to what young professionals need to understand about leadership, Mm. which is that it all matters. Every one of your personal relationships is important or can be crucially important to your career. And for instance, I talk in the book about a, a relationship that I had with a with a peer of mine when I was a sales manager, and it wasn't a positive relationship. And that poor relationship came very close to derailing my career. And you know that really brought home the lesson that every single person in a company is important to you. And that really goes from your relationship with the security guard right up to your relationship with the CEO and anyone in between. It is so easy to get in trouble. And those troubles, the serious ones, for the most part, begin with poor personal relationships. And so that's what I would say that that people can most importantly learn from my mistakes as they read through the book. Well, you say, too, that instead of spending time trying to decide what we want to do, we should spend more time considering what we're able to do. What do you say then to someone who says, well, what about my passion? Yeah, I think it's a a very interesting topic. Uh, And where I come out on it is 
the observation that most people are most happy doing what they're most good at. And an example that that you can see in the book is that like a lot of people on Wall Street, I thought that I would be a pretty good trader. For most of my early career, I was in I was in sales, but when I was given the opportunity to trade, I was unsuccessful. And that was a that was a very painful experience for me. But even more importantly than that, not only was I a poor trader, but I didn't want to go back to sales as a failure. And so I was thinking about other jobs in the firm that I might be able to do. But long story short, I ended up going back to sales, which was something that I was good at. And I was able to take my success as a salesman and later a sales manager and build that into a career that ended up becoming the CEO of of Greenwich Capital, later known as RBS Greenwich Capital. And so I really do think that if what you're most good at is also what you're passionate about, then then that's great. But it's most important to focus on what you're most good at. I really loved uh, chapter seven, uh, which serves as a great resource to refer back to again and again, has its own table of contents. It's so exhaustive uh, on how to get a great job. And one thing I keyed in on was uh, one of your what to say during an interview points. You you make the point that it's it's not about us getting the job. It's about helping the interviewer find the right person. And I was hoping you could expound on that a bit. Yeah. You know, I found in my career, particularly when I got in a more senior position, when I was interviewing more people, that almost all young people, when they sit down with me, thought their job was to convince me how intelligent, hardworking, and nice they were. And then they hoped I would be nice and I'd hire them. (laughs) And that's really not the way it goes. That's not the way it works. In a business, my job is to find the right person for that job, not to find the person who has all sorts of talents or is very nice. And that's why it's so important to get informational interviews with people both inside a company and outside the company about the job or firm that you're going to interview for. Because the knowledge that you get from those informational interviews will allow you to understand how to sell yourself as the best person to help that company succeed. That, that's really the crux of it. And I, and I go back to you know an analogy of a baseball coach. And when you think about it, the baseball coach doesn't care at all how intelligent, hardworking, or nice you are. All he cares about is, are you going to help the team win games? And if you can, he's going to want you on, your t- on his team. And if you can't, he's not going to want you on the team. And that's the approach that you need to take to get hired. Ben, what are some of the methods for taking what is initially an informational interview and turning it into a full-blown job interview? It's important to be able to and understand how to turn informational interviews into job interviews, because obviously the goal of all this is to finally get the job and you have to get a job interview for that. (laughs) And so in an informational interview, towards the end of it, it's often a good thing to say, you know, I've loved talking to you. Do you happen to know of any jobs at this company I may be able to interview for? And if the answer is yes, great, have the interview. If the answer is no, then ask if you can talk to someone in human resources because the person you're talking to might not know what jobs are available. Human resources will know that. Or you can 
and or you can ask your interviewer if he knows anyone else at the company or outside the company you might be able to talk to. And those could lead to job interviews. So those are some of the ways you can turn informational interviews into job interviews. I want to ask you, Ben, some questions not directly related to the book. But before I do that, uh, is there anything else from the book you want to be sure we know about? There's three lessons from my career that I think are sort of the most important. The first one we really touched on already is to be impatient. And if you don't find yourself in a job that you see as being able to ultimately realize your hopes and dreams, you got to get out. One other thing that we didn't talk a lot about was looking before you leap. And in the book, I talk about that my greatest fault as a professional and maybe as a person is always being too impulsive. Mm. And that was the source of you know a number of my mistakes during my career that I made uh, a job move before I really took the time to understand what that job was. And so while it's important to be impatient, it's just as important to research the job opportunities or the company or the boss that you might have at a new firm. And I think that uh, a lot of people are like myself and don't do enough work on that. And finally, the lesson from my career that you could take away is that it's about the process, not the outcome. It's important to have goals, but what you need to be focused on every day is to do a great job at your job because the realization of the goals that you have has to be based on you having an outstanding career and that being recognized by your coworkers and your boss. Mm. And for instance, having the goal of becoming a CEO is great, but just the math tells you that that's going to be an unlikely thing to happen in a large organization. The pyramid gets, gets very narrow. So what you want to do is put yourself in the best position possible to have the opportunity for that to, to happen for you. But you also have to understand that there's many things that will also have to occur that are outside your control for you to become the CEO. So what you need to do is to find a job that you're great at, that you enjoy, and do a terrific job at it. And if the sun and the moon and the stars line up and you become a CEO, great. If that doesn't happen, you'll still have an outstanding career and be able to support your family. I like that that thought process. Putting putting the emphasis on, on the journey as opposed to maybe the destination, I think, is the essence of what you're saying. Exactly. Well, Ben, among all the various lessons you've learned, leadership, business, that, that you've come to appreciate – if you had to narrow the list down to a central theme or idea uh, and just give one takeaway, what, what would that be? That takeaway would be, it's up to you. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about your finances, your family, your happiness. Everything is up to you and you can't rely on anyone else to, to make those decisions for you. It really does tie back to the issue of not being satisfied with something that doesn't give you the chance to realize your hopes and dreams. Ben, you've had the opportunity to impact a lot of people with your work. And at the end of the day, I want to know what you hope your legacy to be. I think the, the, the important thing for me has been helping people realize their hopes and dreams. Mm. And that, that, that phrase is something that I learned from my boss, Ted Metzger. And when he would talk about 
people realizing their hopes and dreams at his company, I remember initially just being shocked. I never heard anybody talk in those terms about how they should be viewing their career and helping people realize their hopes and dreams the way Ted did is really what I would like my legacy to be. And I think that that's one of the reasons why, or maybe the the most important reason why I've been so excited about writing the bigs, Mm. because that's really been able to, and hopefully will, leverage what I've learned and help people beyond the sphere of people that I come personally into contact with. It's that leveraging of my experiences that, that, that makes me most excited about the book. Well, as you know, Ben, the Read to Lead podcast emphasizes intentional and consistent reading and, and the benefits that, that can lead to and success in business and in life. Curious if you could name for us a couple of books you've read in the last few years that have had an impact on you and maybe share how or why they impacted you as they did. The one book that that I would say that most impacted the bigs was a book by Nassim Talib called Fooled by Randomness. Mm-hmm. And this is a book that really highlights the importance and the unrecognized importance of randomness, particularly as it relates to financial trading, particularly, for instance, on the performance of various hedge funds. And and I believe the lessons that Talib talks about were critically important in terms of the managing money portion of the book that I think is, in some ways, the least core part of the book. However, if you don't manage your money correctly, it's very difficult to be happy. Mm. And if there is a core to the book, it's about being happy. Well, Ben, what's next on the horizon for you? Uh, Tell us what's around the corner and when can we expect the book to come out officially? Well, the publication date of the book is May 3rd, but it's going to be shipping on Amazon starting April 21st. And the plans for myself, uh, I really don't know at this point. You know, I don't expect to be writing another book of of this ilk. And part of the reason is that my grandfather who was a professional ghostwriter herself, used to say that everyone has one great book in them, and it's only a question of whether they know how to write it. Mm. And I feel that The Bigs is the one book that I had inside me, and I'll let the readers decide whether it's a great book or not. But the one thing I do know is that I had a great time writing it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I know it's specifically designed for students and young professionals, but I do want to say as someone who's not in that camp, I got a ton out of it. Great advice for choosing a career, finding a great job, doing a great job, starting a business, as you said, managing your money, uh, living a happy life, all of those things. So I highly recommend it. And I just want to say thanks, Ben, for taking your time and being a guest today on the Read to Lead podcast. We really appreciated having you on. Jeff, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. If after hearing from Ben today, you'd like to connect or network, one of the best ways to do that is on Twitter. You can find Ben at BenCarpenter22 on Twitter. That's at BenCarpenter22. And the Read to Lead podcast makes for a great conversation starter. Everything you'd like to know about Ben, his new book, and everything we talked about today, including other resources, books, and links, can be found at a page created especially for this episode called the Show Notes page. And you'll find the Show Notes page for today's episode at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 040 for episode 40. 
And don't forget, if you're interested in challenging and encouraging others who are like you in their zeal for personal and professional growth and would like to be challenged and encouraged yourself, then the Read to Lead podcast mastermind group name forthcoming is for you. Just send an email to me, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com and put mastermind in the subject line and we'll be sure to send you more information once it's available. And finally, if you'll do one thing for me, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate the podcast and I hope you'll do that soon. This helps keep it in front of new people who haven't been able to find it yet. And if you give it a five-star rating and leave a review, I'll be sure and mention you by name in an upcoming episode as a way to say thanks. To leave your rating and review, you can visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. One new review coming in this week from Stitcher, courtesy Joe Levitt who says it never disappoints with his five-star rating. Thank you, Joe. And over on iTunes, four brand-new five-star ratings, including Mr. Bootstrap, otherwise known as Rich Grimshaw, with his five-star review, says, I love it. Thank you, Rich. Jody Mayberry says, one of the best out there, giving it five stars. Thank you, Jody. Catalyst John calls it pure awesomeness. Thank you for your five-star review, John. And Ji-Yoon Lee says, amazing and inspiring guests and more than good host. I appreciate that, Jiyun. Thank you very, very much for your five-star rating and review. Well, that does it for this week. I hope to see you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. You'll never find As long as you live Someone who loves you Tender like I do You'll never find No matter where you search Someone who cares about you the way I do.